Warm Weather Fans is brought to you by Liquid IV. With football season rapidly approaching, watching games in person or just hanging out at tailgates is going to be hot. Make sure that you are properly hydrated for the start of the year with three times the electrolytes of other sports drinks in Liquid IV. I personally love the flavors of their drink mixes from all new strawberry lemonade to passion fruit and watermelon. Liquid IV is a leader in staying hydrated. Now get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code WARM at checkout. That's 20% off of anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WARM at liquidiv.com. Welcome everybody into another edition of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host, Brian Stone. Uh, I write for some other website about Georgia Southern. That's that's neither here nor there. Uh, joined this week, once again, by the boys. Full crew is in Zeke Palermo, Georgia State writer for this other website. Again, not important what it's called. But Zeke, today we're talking Troy, JMU. How are you doing just sort of off the bat? And then I'm going to kick it over to Matt. I'm doing great. Uh, we are recording this on a Tuesday evening, which means my team that I cover, I keep my finger on their pulse, Georgia State. They play on Thursday, so we've got two more sleeps till that game, and uh, I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, and uh, we'll actually be releasing a second episode um, this week, uh, just talking about running down all of the games in this upcoming weekend. My plan is to get it out thursday maybe friday well it depends on how long it takes me to edit these back to back but we'll see how it goes uh join once again by matt miguez the louisiana guy former writer for a site that we don't that we're not going to mention because I, I don't know why but matt how are you doing today man i'm i'm doing good college football is right around the corner um i went to a press conference yesterday and was handed game notes. And man, when, when you when you get that first set of game notes, you like, okay, we're back. College football nerds like us, game notes make the difference. Um, so very, very ready for this weekend. Uh, the Cajuns have a home opener on Saturday night against the Northwestern State Demons. Uh, so we'll see how close the score can stay. When, when you say game notes, for some reason in my head, I'm thinking like the notes that the creepy guy from Billy Madison makes about Miss Lippy. Um, so it's just like <laughs> Ben Woldridge's favorite color is yellow. <laughs> Michael Desermo likes to eat cheese. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, because it's like, you know how tight lipped coaches are about game planning and all that roster, all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I like to think they just feed you guys as far as game notes go, just completely inconsequential facts. Uh, before we get started here, one thing that we talked about at the end of last week's show is how old Matt and I feel in comparison to Zeke. Um, I am, I'm 31. Matt, how, how old are you? Let's just run through this real quick. I just turned 26 last week. Okay. And Zeke, itty bitty baby, how old are you? 
I'm 21, 22 in a couple months. Okay. All right. So I said at the end of that episode that we, well, once we were talking after it was over, I said I was going to come up with a historical event and I was going to present it. And I wanted to see what Zeke was doing at this point in time, because I know what I was doing at this point in time. I remember it very vividly. Zeke, prepare to unmute yourself. Zeke, what were you doing when Osama bin Laden was killed? That's a stellar question. I'm going to have to look up the date of that one. Um, uh, again, what like, was it? Oh, 2010? 2011. Okay. So, like I said about the Michael Jackson death, I remember this happening. I remember hearing Osama bin Laden is dead. And I remember being, oh, shoot, he's someone we probably wanted dead. And, you know, understood the context around that, the 9-11 guy. But in 2011, May of 2011, I was in Miss Johnson's third grade class. And that was an incredible class because we were in the trailers. We called them mobile classrooms, but they were just trailers. And I remember learning about rocks in that class. It was a great time. Look, shout out to Miss Johnson. <laughs> because if we didn't have Zeke Palermo today exactly the way that he is, I think this world would be suffering even more than it already is. She uh, she was integral. She was the harsh one of the third grade teachers. You didn't want her. But I think we all came out stronger for it. Just a real ball buster of a third grade teacher. You know how it is. Um <laughs> But so just just by comparison, I don't know how long we want to go on this. Uh, I was in my sophomore year of college uh, and I was in a dining hall. And I remember when someone sat stood up on a table and announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed. And my my friends took the rest of the day off of class because of this. I guess they thought this was a, a holiday that they needed to celebrate. Uh, I went to class. I don't know if that makes me a bad American, but it happened. So I just wanted to get sort of a frame of reference to see, like, what was going on at this point in time in Zeke's life. Matt, what were you up to during that day? So Zeke was in the third grade. Brian was in college. I, let's see, May of 2011, I was finishing my freshman year of high school. Um... May, I was probably at a track meet. I feel like that's where I spent most of the spring in high school. Um, but no, I do remember very vividly the, the day that Osama bin Laden died because I can remember then-President Obama having his like emergency press conference speech, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I can remember everybody just going, oh, crap, they actually did it. Because, like, it had been rumored that, like, the SEALs were going to go in and try. But everybody was like, okay, you know, we'll see. And then we are like, oh, no, they actually went and did it. So, yeah, um, I was not in third grade. I, I do remember it from more than just a history book. Uh, Zeke Palermo. Look, man, uh, I don't know. I just, it wasn't really moving... I'm trying to think in third grade, I was a little more preoccupied. We were learning about the American Revolution at that point. It was great. That was the first year we took real American history. Um, 
but we probably hadn't gotten up to 9-11 by that point. And so just wasn't shaking my world. Not current enough of an event for Zeke to know about at that point in time. To clarify, I recognize the importance of that moment, just for all of our listeners. He was more worried about the Wiggles than he was about Osama Bin Laden. Not by that point. It was Phineas and Ferb at that point, man. Don't don't get it twisted. The real mystery that Zeke was trying to solve was Blue's Clues at that point, not who, not whether Osama bin Laden had been killed by American forces. Uh, just just a, like a wrap-up on this, uh, that was really good because Matt's fra- uh, video just froze on him like full body laughing, so I got to see that for like five full seconds. Uh, the, the other thing, this was one of the, the first events I remember that was like I found out through Twitter and it was because The Rock tweeted it out before they announced it. I don't know if anybody else remembers that. But, like, The Rock apparently got this inside information, and he tweeted it before anybody else knew. And he was like, big news coming up later today. We we got him, boys. Or something like that was the tweet. And everybody was like, what does this mean? And then all of a sudden, it was like, it started getting out, like, the the, the rumor that it had happened. So, Yeah. It, it was a it was a fun moment for sure um that so i don't even know a good way to transition off of this speaking of fighting forces i guess let's talk about the trojans of troy in our season preview for 2023 uh troy coming off of a incredible season last year incredible turnaround under john sumrall they had suffered through the mediocrity that was chip Lindsay. But they still had a good roster, and I think this was something that Zeke and I talked about. Matt, I think when you were doing the the Sunbelt podcast with me, I think we talked about it. We felt always like they had talent. It was just Chip Lindsey, to be fair, was an underachiever. Like he, He probably didn't belong in that spot, and he's another one of the many reasons I'm always critical when a offensive coordinator from a school under an offensive head coach gets hired somewhere is like what is this guy's actual what does he what does he do what is his what is he bringing to this so again john summerall comes in they go 12 and 2 they actually lose two of their first three um to ole miss and then the hail mary against app and then they reel off 11 in a row which is incredible to, to, to then, you know, cash in and win the Sunbelt title game over Coastal Carolina in a absolute route. I mean, it was never, it was never close. Um, I remember checking, uh, I, I wasn't near a TV that it was on at the moment, and I kept checking it, and I was like, this score's got to be wrong. Like, I kept refreshing score mobile, and it was like, it's 21 to nothing, it's 28 to nothing. I'm like, what is happening here? Uh, but yeah, so Troy has lost some key contributors on both sides of the ball. And I actually want to start with the defense because this was the total backbone of this team versus many other teams where it's like offensively is sort of what makes the team go. Um, So obviously the the biggest loss is linebacker Carlton Marshall, who's I think what the most decorated linebacker slash tackler in the history of the Sunbelt Conference. Um, He's obviously going to be missed. You don't just plug another guy in that spot and keep chugging along no problem but matt i want to start with you here even with that loss 
how how good do we expect this defense to be? They have six starters returning. What sort of production should we foresee them returning, even with the loss of Marshall? You know, I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, now, it, it would be wild to expect them to be the exact same, right? Like like you said, you don't replace a guy like Carlton Marshall. Um, now, could they prove everybody wrong and be the exact same that they were last year? Absolutely. Uh, but I think the expectation is good, not great. Uh, if you're looking at Troy's defense, because on the front four, you've still got Javon Solomon at the defensive end spot, who's had a freaky first two years at Troy. Uh, you know, you bring a guy like Jordan Stringer, who had a strong campaign last year with 17 tackles in 12 games. Jaden McDonald's kind of stepping in as a leader. He didn't do a whole lot last year, uh, but in 2020 and 2021, he combined for 103 tackles in those two seasons. Uh, so, I mean, you've got pieces. And I think it really helps that, your head coach has been a defensive coordinator at the highest level. Um, Cause look, say what you want about Kentucky. They play in the sec. He was a defense coordinator at the highest level. Um, so to, to have that, I think you're always going to be decent on defense. Uh, so the floor is higher for you than it probably is for most programs. Uh, so I'm really interested to see just how much of a step they lose trying to replace Carlton Marshall. Uh, so Zeke, I, I wanted to go here with sort of a question for you. They have switched their defense from a primarily a 4-3 to a 3-4. Uh, they also dropped Javon Solomon down from the linebacker spot to defensive end. He's a little small to play defensive end. He's only 200. He's only listed at 252, which Believe me, coming from someone who has watched a 3-4 and watched it struggle, if you don't have those that defensive line in place in a 3-4, it, it's really tough to stop the run because those linebackers have to be extremely aggressive. Do you foresee that sort of being an issue in that they're adjusting to a new scheme and, like I said, some of these guys are having to sort of play in different spots than they were a year ago? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's a new defensive coordinator, and anytime you have a coordinator change, you have to anticipate that there's going to be some sort of step back, regardless if you were the best offense, the best defense, the worst offense, the worst defense, you're going to regress a little bit just because it's the first time that these guys are playing under this coordinator and in their system. Um, and to your point about switching from kind of a front four to a front three, uh, I don't know Obviously, I'm not paid to make these calls, but I'm curious how that will affect Troy's pass rush because I think that was kind of the most strong part of that defense was they had guys that were racking up four, five, six sacks. You mentioned Jibinor. Uh, you mentioned Javon Solomon. These are guys that are scary when they get in the backfield, but in a 3-4, ends don't get into the backfield like that unless you are some absolute Vince Wilfork type guy. So with the smaller linemen, I, I anticipate that the rushing defense to be a little less potent and, and even worse. So I think the, the pressure on the quarterback is going to be far less scary, which uh, by, you know, as a result of that will make your defense as a whole much weaker. Yeah, so uh, 
they do return a couple of really key starters on defense that maybe will make that transition a little easier. Um, so you get back TJ Jackson, uh, who was a first team Sunbelt, all Sunbelt uh, player last year at the defensive tackle spot, one of the defensive ends technically, but it's listed at D tackle. Uh, Jimmy Noir, like you mentioned, was second team all Sunbelt last year. And then in the secondary, you get Reddy Stewart back, who was a first-team Sunbelt corner. So maybe that transition to the 3-4 isn't quite as challenging. Matt, I, I want to ask you this. Do you think the fact that Summerall comes from more of a defensive background will ease this transition a little bit more? I think so. Um, just because when you're a defensive coordinator and, and you reach that level, you've seen it all, right? You've tried it all. You've plugged and played. You, you know the ins and outs of every different defense that you could possibly run. Um, so so John Summerall didn't just go into this, oh, let's switch it to a 3-4 uh, and see what the hell happens. Like, he knew what he was doing, switching it to a 3-4. Um, and, and I'm sure that he made this decision probably pretty early in the offseason. Uh, so they probably spent the spring and majority of the summer adapting to the three, four and learning their new roles and things like that. So obviously there's going to be a transition when you first step onto the field. But I think that having a defensive minded guy, like you mentioned is certainly going to ease that transition because you can always go to him for help. His, your, your position coaches have probably worked with a three, four before as well. So they could help you out as well. You, you have a lot of experience there. And I think that will always make, a transition like this, a simpler one. Sure. Um, so let's let's look at the offense a little bit. Um, they get Gunnar Watson back from last year um, at the quarterback spot. He had a, what, 2,800 yards passing, completed 60, almost 62% of his passes, but just a 14 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio. You know, th- this was one of the reasons I started with the defense was that their offense was not, what was getting them over the hump last year. You know, there's a number of different games you could go back and look at and say, it certainly wasn't that. So like, you know, for example, uh, the bowl game against UTSA, you know, you, you have what 47 yards rushing and 113 yards passing on the offensive side of the ball. So the fact that you want 18 to 12 is great. It wasn't the offense. It was it was definitely the defense being able to contain uh, Frank, the quarterback for UTSA. I can't remember his last name. Frank is his first name. Um, Harris. But yeah, I, Frank Harris. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, but, but offensively, one of the things that is mentioned in Phil Steele's book is they want to play more up-tempo. They want to play with more pace. They want to call more plays. I think one of the things that he sort of intimated was they don't quite expect the defense to be as dominant as it was a year ago. So I think they've they've got their mindset of we have to score more points than we did last year. Last year was fine. We skated on the defense, but offensively, we, we need to go up a level if we want to keep, you know, sort of producing at the same rate. So, Zeke, I, I wanted to throw it to you on this question. You get a lot of returning production. Kimani Vidal, the running back, second team all Sunbelt last year, uh, comes to mind. But, you know, this offense was not great. So 
even though you have those guys back, how how do you foresee it? Do, do you foresee them scoring more points and, and Watson being more efficient? So it's funny that you say that they made the decision or, or have decided that they want to go into a more up-tempo offense because I don't think it was much of a decision. Troy allowed the most sacks in the Sun Belt last season by a considerable margin. I think at least 10. I have the numbers here. We're looking at – I'm sorry. I gotta be, yeah, we're looking at – they allowed eight more sacks than the next highest team. And so it's not that they want to go to a more up-tempo. It's they have to because their offensive line doesn't allow you to let plays develop, to let a play action or let something like that happen. So I think it's just a matter of can that offensive line hold up. We saw flashes of it. Kamani Vidal, you mentioned all Sun Belt. He finished third in the conference in rushing yards. But when you're allowing that much pressure and you talked about Gunnar Watson's interception issues, that all starts with the offensive line, not giving him any time. So unless they can iron that out, the offense is going to stagnate like it did last season, especially in big games. So Matt, um, one of the things that was sort of a running storyline with with Troy last year was the the exchanging of the quarterbacks constantly. You had Watson in for a little bit. You had Daigie, uh, who was the West Virginia transfer in for a little bit. We we've talked about all Sun Belt name team. I think the backup quarterback Goose Crowder has to be right up there. I mean, he's the starting quarterback for the all-name team. I don't even know if there's really a second place. But if 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 Gunnar Watson struggles a little bit like he did last year, he, he returns from last year, but do you think there's going to be this little bit of we're, 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 pull, we're ready to pull the curtain on him at a moment's notice, or do you think he sort of earned himself a little bit more leeway? So before I answer that question... If there's a goose, I, I think where John Summerall failed is that he didn't recruit a Maverick. Well, he's going to call you, the. You did that reference, right, Zeke? Yeah. Well, the new one, the new one that just came out, helped me out. I don't know if I've seen the original, but yeah, I got that. Oh one. my god! I know you did not just admit that to the masses. When y'all were starting the episode talking about Billy Madison, I've only ever heard of that name. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to move on. Um, No, I think Gunnar Watson earned himself some playing time strictly from the fact that, you know, last year, like you mentioned, he went through that adversity. I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Um, He went through that adversity and, you know, they they went back to Daigie. They went back to Watson back and forth. Well, Watson finally took the opportunity to say, enough of this. I'm running this team. And I think he proved that down the stretch last year. Don't get me wrong. His numbers weren't pretty. But he did a nice job of running that offense last year, and he did just enough to rely on his defense in order to be successful. Um, And so I think this year you've kind of seen him have a full offseason where he kind of knows, okay, I'm going to be the guy. This is my team. And I think that's going to help him immensely because the last couple of years, I don't know that he felt that way in the off season. He was always kind of looking over shoulder. Okay. You know, are they going to pull me? Are they going to play this guy? Now I don't think he has to worry about that. And and I think that's really going to help him. And you're going to see a much improved Gunnar Watson this year. So 
the, I think the most important question we have to ask is if Goose Crowder comes in and starts running the offense, do we just start calling them the Gander? Just a question. You've had better ones. You, you've had better ones there. Just question. Just a question. I, uh, I'm just throwing it out there. Just seeing what seeing what was gonna go. Seeing what was gonna happen. Uh, so let's get to the the schedule at large. Um, you know, they they play some really talented Sun Belt teams. You know, they they end up with JMU. Uh, you know, Georgia State can score some points, although you have no idea what you're getting from them on a week to week basis, uh, especially offensively. Um, Texas state. I know Matt likes GJ Kynes, uh team a lot and their, their uh, sec quarterback transfers. So we'll have to see what sort of shakes out there. We all like what South Alabama's bringing back to the table, which is essentially their entire football team from last year. Uh, and then, you know, I know Matt's pretty, pretty lukewarm on Louisiana, but you know, who who knows when you get to the end of the season, <laughs> he's he's kind of giving me the eh. lukewarm's Luke lukewarm's Luke a stretch. I'm confident. I'm just cautiously confident. Okay. So, with that schedule in mind, you know th- their one big out of conference test is Kansas State in Manhattan week two. Um. They they do play Western Kentucky. I, I'm going to be totally honest. I don't know what Western Kentucky is going to look like this year because I do not follow Kusa. Uh, Matt Matt put in the chat just now that he he has them beating Western Kentucky. Um, but Zeke, as far as as far as the schedule goes, um, you know Phil Steele projects it as what the 94th hardest schedule in in college football. So kind of a layup, but do you sort of foresee outside of the South Alabama game any real challenges for this Troy team? No, I mean at this point, um, between you and I and Matt, we've all we've previewed all of these teams, and there's just no one in the Sun Belt that really poses a threat, an offensive threat great enough to break through even what we think may be a toned back Troy defense. Um, and you know we could be proved wrong come week two, week three, week four. And then it's a big step back. But as it stands right now, it's just like, who's going to do it? No one jumps out on the page is like, oh, we're going to break through that. So I obviously you, you can't predict that you go undefeated in conference. But on paper, you feel pretty good. Like that. that's a very, very possible outcome. Hey, Zeke, you better be careful. Don't let your mouth write checks that your body can't cash. Hey man, look! I, oh, but wait! You don't know what that's from either. I've heard it. I know what it means. And what, what movie is it from? Fuck if I know. Oh, there it is. There it is. The the, the first f bomb on warm weather fans has been dropped. <laughs> that, that one's my bad to all the folks at home, mom and dad. I know you're listening. That that one's my bad. But no, I have no idea where that's from. People just say it. Well, uh, Matt, I want to ask you, wait, wait, hold on. I actually have, because the way that Zeke framed that whole thing after the way we talked about South Alabama last week, I have a question for Zeke. Zeke, do you have, who do you have winning the South Alabama Troy game as we sit today? I, I, there's, a, there's a lot of, of football to be played. 
But the way that we've talked about these teams, it's been like, man, South Alabama's loaded. And then all of a sudden when you were explaining it, you were like, I don't think anybody can score against Troy's defense. And I'm like, well, last week we just talked about South Alabama being great. So which one, who do you have winning at this point? That's a great question. And to be frank, I may have contradicted myself between last week and this. And if I did, I'll own up to that and got to keep my own records better. But you've got to go with what you know. And what we know at present is that Troy has demonstrably one of, if not the greatest defenses that this conference has seen in recent memory. And so by extension, with that being the only thing we know, and having seen last year's South Alabama-Troy game, you have to run with that. Um it's probably that that thinking is probably filled with logical fallacy and, and inconsistency. And I'm sure I'll prove that throughout the season. But as I sit right here today in front of you two gentlemen, I have to go with what I know. And what I know is that Troy has a really good defense that South Alabama was not able to crack last year. Matt, I, the way that I've sort of forecasted it is a, it is an exact flip of the way things happened in 2022. I have Troy going 10 and two this year. But I have South Alabama as like an 11 and one, maybe, maybe even undefeated football team. I, I don't really know what to expect in that out of conference game that we talked about. But I think Troy finishes with one conference loss, and I think it's the South Alabama. And I think South Alabama runs the table and they go to the, the Sun Belt title game for the West. Do you, is that sort of what you foresee as well? Troy has three losses, in my opinion. I think they lose to Kansas State. Um, and, and not because I necessarily think the Kansas State's a good team. Um, I mean, they did make the Sugar Bowl last year, so, I mean, they are pretty pretty solid. Um, and then I, I think you lose to South Alabama. And then I, I'm going to be honest with you, man, I, I think they lose to the Cajuns. And I know that that sounds kind of biased of me, but let, let's look at this because if you go back and, and look at the Troy Cajuns game last year, it was 23 to 17. Cajuns had the ball in the final two minutes with the opportunity to win it. And it, it, they just let it slip through the cracks. Same thing with South Alabama. You had the, you actually went and tied the game and South Alabama was able to march down the field in the last 30 seconds and kick a walk-off field goal. Uh, So the Cajuns, you could argue that Louisiana should have won either one of those games last year. Uh, So I think the Cajuns, now that you have a more experienced Ben Wooldridge, I think you're going to have a better offensive line this year than you did last year. I think your offense is going to be able to just flat-out play better this year than they did a year ago. Um, And I think from a defensive perspective, the Cajuns are going to be relatively the same from last year. So, look, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cajuns went to Troy and got some revenge this year. So, I'm going to say I'm going to say 9 and 3 for the Trojans. That yeah, I I mean, I'm not totally against them potentially losing a third game. I don't think that's totally out of the the realm of possibility. I was just more laughing because I was like when you were running down the schedule in, with the losses, you were doing it in order. And then when you got to the past the South Alabama game, there were only like three other options. And I was like, Matt's going to do it. He's going to say it's Louisiana. <laughs> so 
let's transition over to the east um and and talk about jmu james madison the dukes uh heck of a first season in the Sun Belt. uh would have went to the Sunbelt title game, I believe, right, as the East representative, had they not had to deal with these stupid NCAA rules. And and there's been other teams that have moved up too that have, have been uh, subject to these. Georgia Southern won the conference in, in uh, what was it, 2014, and then couldn't go to a bowl afterward because of these dumb rules. So it, it was just stuff like that. I, I hate those rules because – I don't know who that's supposed to benefit, especially when you step up in competition. It's one thing if you're like going down, like you're demoting yourself to an FCS, like an Idaho does. But like, it's another when it's like, we're stepping up and playing tougher teams. Why can't we, like, if we're that good, why can't we just represent ourselves in a bowl game? I don't, I don't really understand it. Um, but I want to start here. Uh, Matt, I, I don't think a, there is a bigger loss other than maybe Carlton Marshall for a single player to a team in the Sun Belt than what we saw with Todd Centeno leaving James Madison uh, after you know graduating and and not being having any eligibility left. This is honestly to me has been a really tough team for me to even project because of the uncertainty at the quarterback position. I mean. Alonza Barnett is the quarter is the quarterback that Phil Steele had as the projected starter, and he's thrown one pass attempt in his entire college career. So this is another one like Appalachian State, where I'm like, I'm not giving a freshman the benefit of the doubt until I see it. Like I need to see you show up on Saturdays and really play well. And I just have a hard time. Like I think they're really good across the board, but we've talked about it. The off the 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 quarterback is the maybe the most important position on the entire football field, especially the way that games are played nowadays. And the running game's a little bit diminished. And you know they even lose Agie Obise, their running back from last year. So you don't even you have to find a new guy to lean on running back wise. But Matt, that was a long way of basically me asking, how, how do you sort of overcome this when you have an off an offense and a, and a quarterback this good, and then you just basically have to go back and start from scratch with a guy that essentially has no experience? The exact same way that they did it last year. Um, because Totson Teo was a first-year starter last year. Because from 2016 to 2021, you had Cole Johnson who threw for 6,000 yards in his career, which is second in JMU history, which I know 6,000 yards doesn't sound like a lot, but for for a team that has dominantly run the football. um, But look, you know, Kirk Signetti is a dual-threat quarterback type of guy. Alonzo Barnett is exactly that. And I think Signetti proved last year, and maybe it's a one-off, we'll find out. Uh, But I think he proved last year that, He's pretty good with first-year quarterbacks. So, look, I'm gonna I'm going to give Signetti and the Dukes the benefit of the doubt until I see that he's not very good. Um, but right now, you know, from the little bit that I've researched on him, I, I don't have a reason to believe that he can't run this offense. 
And look, you know, he's got Kalon Black in the backfield. He had 300 yards last season. Um, you've got some receivers back from a year ago. You've got some starters back on the offensive line as well. Uh, you, you know, you're looking at 120 career starts returning this year on, on the offensive line. So he has help. So obviously there's going to be a drop because of just how good Todd Santeo was last year. But it, I, I'm going to go back to the, the Carlton Marshall conversation. It might be less of a drop than we think. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what the Dukes do actually, because man, look, if you look at their last, you know, five seasons, nine and four, 14 and two, seven and one, 12 and two, eight and three in their first year in the FBS. I mean, this team has proven that they know how to win and that they can do it at this level. Uh, so, so the Dukes are going to be a team to watch again in, in the Sunbelt East. Unfortunately, they, they can't win anything again. Uh, which I think is so stupid, but you know that we, we could do a whole episode on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the Dukes will be fun to watch. I think they've got a friendly schedule, and uh, I mean, obviously, we'll get into the schedule later. But uh, again, to wrap up w- about the quarterback, I have no reason to believe that Alonzo Barnett can't go out there and run this offense. So, what you said about Centeno is sort of correct. Um, he he actually had played at both Temple and Colorado State before he got to JMU. So he did have power five quarterbacking experience. I mean, he in 2021, he played for Colorado State and threw for 2,900 yards and 15 touchdowns. Colorado State was absolutely horrible, so it didn't matter because they went three and nine. But he, he's not a guy coming in with one career pass attempt is basically what I'm trying to say. So I, I do think it's... At, it is going to be more of a drop-off than we expect. Centeo, I I like what Signetti does. I, I, I think he's great. Um, offensively, I don't think they're going to take... I don't think they're totally going to drop off a cliff, but this is another one where I'm like, I want to see the offense before I sort of just say, yeah, you guys are, are going to win eight, nine games again, and then it's not really going to be an issue. Um, Zeke, when you look at the skill positions for JMU, what sort of stands out to you? I, I We talked about Barnett, but what sort of stands out to you at the skill positions for them? Uh, well, we talked about how despite making the jump, and Brian, you may remember this, I was adamant that JMU was going to be nothing last year. It, it didn't make sense. They defied, I, in my mind, they defied logic. Um, but they weren't starting from scratch. Because between Agueo Bessie and Chris Thornton, those two guys at the running back and receiver, they both were consistently putting up a 1,000-yard seasons. They, they weren't starting from scratch and just, oh, we also have a new quarterback. It was Santeo, who has experience, fitting into this offense that already has a structure and already has their guys. Uh, Agueo Bessie was top five in rushing yards last season. Chris Thornton is the only guy on the team who caught more than 30 passes, and I believe he caught 60. So there's a big void that we don't know about yet. And unfortunately, we're not going to know about it until we see them play. But I'm a lot more hesitant to say that this offense is going to reach even you know 70% of what it was last season just because you lost the offensive player of the year in Centeno. 
and then you lost your two best playmakers between your running back and wide receiver, and there was no one from a volume perspective last season that showed they might be able to take that position. One thing I appreciate, and, and we'll move on to the defense here, is that the offensive coordinator uh, for JMU is Mike Shanahan. That's his name. So let, let's let run some zone, some wide zone scheme, baby. Uh, they need to be able to run the football to take the pressure off of whoever they end up naming their quarterback. I mean, you know, you can even look past Barnett if they decide to go a different direction. None of these guys have a lot of experience playing quarterback, so we'll 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 have to see how this sort of goes. However, in the total flip side of this, their defense actually is supposed to be really nice this year overall. And I and, and I want to jump into that with you, Matt. Defensively, you know, from the way that uh the way that Phil Steele has it laid out, he has them with. A t- one of a solid, one of the best D lines in the in the conference, one of the best linebacking core in the conference, and I think he has them maybe with the best pass defense unit, just with the amount of production that they return. So, the the I think the one the one thing with the offense is it's almost a, a concern for both sides of the ball because if you're not moving the football and getting ahead and making it easier on your defense, then you're putting them behind the eight ball and they have to get more stops and more turnovers. And even, you know, if it gets extreme, they have to score the points, the offense, if they can't do it. With that said, again, the defense is supposed to be great. So Matt, do we just think that they're going to repeat sort of what they did last year when they were, you know, one of the top defenses overall? I think it's safe to say that they could. I mean, you look at it, you start with the defensive end, Michael Kamara. He had four sacks, 14 tackles last year in just four starts. I mean, think about that. He had a sack a start. That's impressive. And then you look at the rest of their defensive line. You had two all-conference guys, both of them on the second team, and Jamry Croma and James Carpenter. Uh, you talked about the linebacker group. I think they're impressive as well. Uh, Tars Jones kind of being the leader on that weak side. Uh, and then the secondary, Josh Surratt is a guy that has been talked about a lot. He had 40 tackles last season. Uh, he's a ball hawk. He flies around, makes plays. I think that it's safe to say that they're going to be very similar than they were last year. And who knows, maybe even a step better. Um, to be honest, I didn't see a whole lot of James Madison last year, strictly because the Cajuns didn't play him. Um, so I I saw bits and pieces, but I mean, I can't say with definite, like, okay, you know, they were this good. They're going to be this good this year, but just looking at it on paper and the little bit that I did see, yeah, I mean, they, they returned seven starters from last year. I think that's a really big step in the right direction for them. And they should be a, a top defense in the conference this year. Uh, Zeke and I got, you know, firsthand um, experience uh, with James Madison last year. Um, both were great games, honestly. I mean, the Georgia Southern JMU game, I had no I had no preconceived notions that the Eagles were going to pull that game out. And it ended up being, you know, sort of an all-timer when you've got two offenses that are scoring like that. The final score of that one was uh, 45-38. So that was, a, that was a great game. And then Zeke, toward the end of the season... JMU beat the Panthers 42 to 40. 
I can't remember if Centeno got injured sort of toward the end of the season. I can't remember if he played in that game. I know that he didn't play when they lost to Marshall and Louisville, but I can't remember when he does, when he actually came back from injury. But that was another great game, like I said, 42 to 40. So, you know, defensively, they had a couple of slip-ups late in the year. But uh, again, this is sort of my concern with if the quarterbacking isn't up to par and the offense isn't up to par, are we going to see a couple of defensive performances like we did last year when they played Georgia Southern, Georgia State? Um, you know, Louisville was a was a is a Power Five team, but scored thirty four points on them. You know, uh, are we are are they at risk for that type of thing happening again? Yeah. So, well, to answer your first question, Santeo did play against Georgia State. Um, uh, and that game was miraculous to watch because at halftime you felt like turning it off. Um, it's our job to not turn it off, but the score was Georgia State 34 to 14 JMU and ended up with JMU winning 42 to 40. Um, and I think that was, you know, was it did one team win versus the other team losing kind of conversation? Georgia State did themselves no favors. And as you've said before, Darren Granger, what are you going to get from him? We got the bad side for the second half. That just how it ha- that's how it happens. But it, it says something about a team that they're able to orchestrate that sort of comeback. Um, I do think they need to figure out the these small blips on their schedule where you're allowing, you know, uh, we're talking 578 passing yards against Georgia Southern. Granted, they did it on 64 attempts. So, but 600 passing yards is 600 passing yards. Same thing with Georgia State. They rushed for 257. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Louisville rushed for 239 yards. I mean, it's these blips on the schedule that turn what should be a great team into a good team. And it's just like, where do they line up? If they line up against Louisville where it's not in conference, that's great. But if you go into App State or you go into Coastal, or you go into the teams that you should be jostling with, like Southern, and you have that blip game that has the ability to just tank all of your playoff chances, all I mean, ruin your record. And so it's just like, can you guys be consistent week in, week out, and not let Louisville, you know, put up 500 yards, not let App State put up 300 yards? Those are things that need to stop if you want to prove that it wasn't beginner's luck in the FBS. Yeah, I agree. Um, So let's sort of look at the schedule here coming up. Um, Honestly, you, you have to play Troy and South Al. Those are tough games, especially in the first, you know, before you get your bye in, what is it, week six or so, you have to play both of those teams. And, if the again, if the quarterback play isn't up to standard, those are two defenses that aren't going to take any prisoners, especially against a young quarterback that is still sort of getting his feet wet at that point. But the back half is a little easier. Georgia Southern is is a test for them. Obviously, what happened last year, if Georgia Southern kind of can replicate that offensive production that, that Zeke was mentioning um, with Davis Brin, that might give them a little bit of trouble. Marshall is going to put you in a dog fight every time you play them. They run the ball. They play defense. Rasheen Ali is one of the top rushers in the conference. We already talked about him. So who knows where it goes there. Then it gets a little softer. Um, 
Old Dominion, I, I think we I think we can all pretty much agree they're gonna beat Old Dominion. Um Georgia State, like like Zeke mentioned, gave them a run for their money, even though it, you know, and it took a huge comeback to so and then you but you close with app and coastal. So you sort of have like this early stretch where you play the two toughest teams in probably the whole conference. I mean, and then you close with two of the top teams in the East. So you're really gonna find out what you're made of and and see how much you can grow during that that sort of period. Matt, are you I, I think we're looking at like an eight win season for them. Uh seven, eight wins. I think I think those four are going to be really tough. The the ones that I just talked about. Um and I think that they might they have a chance they might lose either one of the Southern or Marshall games. So I could see seven, eight wins this year. Um, I think that defense is good enough to carry you a lot of times, but offensively, I, I just need to see it before I, I can sort of put a bet on them. That's spot on to where I have them. Um, I don't think you beat either Troy or South Alabama. Uh, and then I think you slip up to maybe a Marshall, uh, maybe one of the Georgias like you guys mentioned. Uh, depending on how good this Ryan Berger kid is over in Boone, maybe you lose to App State. I don't know. Um but yeah, seven to nine in terms of wins is probably where I have them. I'm going to mimic that seven to nine range, but I really do think that the early buy could be greatly beneficial for this team because, yeah, you play Virginia, Troy, Utah State, South Alabama. That is a terrible, terrible four-week slate. But then you get a buy if you come out and beat Southern at home. Then you get Marshall. If you can manage a win at Marshall, you're building momentum. Now you have Old Dominion. We beat Southern and Marshall. We can beat Old Dominion. Same thing. If you beat those three teams, you can beat Georgia, uh, Georgia State. UConn should be a walk in the park. And now you've got four or five straight wins that can lead you into an App State, that can lead you into a Coastal. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I personally wouldn't subscribe to it. But you have that ability because of the early buy to build some momentum that when you come into those crucial in-division conference games near the end of the season, you've got four or five straight wins that can, like, you know, we all know it It lifts a, lifts the locker room, lifts the team morale, but more importantly, you know that you're playing well. And if you play well, I think there's a possibility you beat the App State, possibility you beat Coastal. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that they're going to lose to UConn, but I'm just saying don't sleep on UConn entirely. Uh, Jim Mora Jr. had them in a bowl game last year, and that hasn't happened in since I think like Dan Orlovsky played quarterback at UConn. So we're talking twenty plus years probably, and they they were not not terrible last season. So I, that's sort of a compliment when you're talking about UConn football is. Hey, it wasn't a train wreck, so good for you. Um, so yeah, I mean that sort of echo, I, I sort of echo what you guys are saying. I think there is a chance if they don't figure out the quarterback position, they're looking at a five hundred season because I've just watched teams with eh, quarterbacks just completely tank like what would be a talented team otherwise. So. I'm sitting in the six to eight range. I think. I think eight is sort of their the top of is their ceiling win wise. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. So that will pretty much wrap it up for our team previews, boys. That was it. 
we have no more team previews. The next episode that we're we're going to be releasing is going to be talking about actual games, actual players, actual stats. Things are going to be happening. We don't need to project anymore. Uh, let's sort of close it out here. Zeke, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. That's where I post about the podcast, about the stories for what Brian has deemed an unnameable site um, and any other musings I may have. Matt, where are you? You can find me on social media at Matt. Um Also, just want to throw this out there. I am fully invested in the trading card business. So if anybody wants to buy trading cards, let me know. I don't want to buy any, but I have one to sell you if you're interested. Ooh. I have a I have a Chad Ochocinco rookie card. Hmm. Don't know don't know if that piques your interest. Also, I'd have to tell my parents to to find it because it's been buried in my stuff from <laughs> ten years ago when I used to live at their house. Um, but I knew I knew for a fact I had it. He was honestly I I, I used to collect football cards and. Uh, I remember getting his, and then when he broke out, I like basically put it by itself because he was the only card that I had that was worth anything. Um, so yeah, I've got that. If if you if you're if you're in the market for a for a, it says Chad Johnson, it doesn't say Chad Ochocinco, obviously, but it, it is a it is his rookie card. Um, as always, you can find me on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Watch the Stone. We will be back later this week to preview all of the week one games. The Sunbelt sat out week zero, but week one is coming this starting this Thursday with Zeke's Georgia State Panthers. Tune in for that on the next episode of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast.